Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, more COVID-19 and staying at home. We're exploring the impact that the virus is having on all of our lives. Pushback grew by leaps and bounds this week against the governor's emergency orders to address the COVID-19 crisis, and MNN's Bill Werner is here with a recap. Scott, in the most direct defiance to date, a group of House Republicans tried, albeit without success, to cancel the governor's stay-at-home order and reopen bars and restaurants with proper social distancing. House Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. Leave a quarantine in place for those who are at the highest risk, which I think is responsible, and it would allow the rest of us to go back to work. Um, and I think this is what Minnesotans are ready for. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded, measures to fight COVID-19 in Minnesota are working. We are going to be top in the nation because we are doing the right thing, not because we are quitting. Mazeppa Republican Steve Draskowski fired back. In our efforts to save lives, we are killing livelihoods. In just the past few weeks, the governor has ordered businesses closed and shut up people up inside their homes. Our economy has been smoked. We are doing better than every other state in controlling this disease because we are listening to public health professionals and we, as average citizens and as legislators, are supporting their recommendations. Whether you believe Walls is in the right or wrong, you should believe that the legislature should then write laws you know, mimicking many of the executive orders that they support. But let's, let's debate them and let's vet them before we put them into law, as opposed to letting one person unilaterally do that. Lake Crystal Republican Representative Jeremy Munson. I get it. I, I wish we could stop this today. I wish I could say, you know what, it's magically over. We can all go back to work. We can all go down to the restaurant or whatever. But that will kill people, and, and it will in the long run hurt our economy at the same time. Protesters gathered outside the governor's residence and circled the state capitol in their cars and trucks, one with a sign reading, Walsing our way into economic ruin. The governor told Minnesotans testing for COVID-19 will be part of reopening the state's economy. It does us no good to send everybody back to work and then get everybody sick. What it does do us good is to be able to send folks back to work who, one, may be immune because they've had it, two, have just been tested and they're symptom-free, and three, we have the resources necessary should someone get sick that it doesn't become a hot spot. The governor pointed to Mayo Clinic's success in developing an antibody test to detect whether someone has already had COVID without knowing it. And the governor said this week he wants COVID testing of workers in Minnesota's food processing facilities to begin soon. I'm talking with a sense of immediacy um, within the next week or so. These are things that I wanted to happen during the stay-at-home order. You stay at home. We will ramp up the hospitals, we will ramp up the ventilators, and we will figure out how to do testing. But the governor says Minnesota will have to go it alone in obtaining COVID test supplies and cannot expect any help from the federal government. Meanwhile, Walls administration officials said this week, although the state is not there yet, they're making progress on obtaining sufficient numbers of medical-grade masks and other protective equipment for the upcoming COVID-19 peak. State Administration Department Commissioner Alice Roberts-Davis. We are in a much better position than we were a week ago or two weeks ago. We've really focused on finding those um, PPE suppliers who are trusted and who we know can get us the um, inventory that we need. We are starting to see a pretty steady flow of PPE into the state that we're able to get to our frontline healthcare workers. 
And citing danger from COVID-19, the American Civil Liberties Union this week asked a judge to order the release of some prisoners at the Moose Lake Correctional Facility who are close to their release dates, including at least one person with underlying medical conditions. ACLU Minnesota Legal Director Teresa Nelson says the state also needs to reduce the number of inmates at Moose Lake. There's over thousand people in the facility right now. We know that once it's in a facility, COVID-19 will spread like wildfire, and, and we're seeing that now at Moose Lake. Key Republicans did not comment on the ACLU's legal action, but Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Warren Limmer said earlier that issue can be addressed, quote, when things calm down. Our number one goal should be the safety of our citizens. Governor Walls said if the legislature doesn't act, he is open to using executive order to free nonviolent inmates who are within six months of their expected release. And also this week, on strong votes, the Minnesota House and Senate passed a compromise insulin assistance package, and Governor Walls promptly signed it into law. It is done. The Alex Smith insulin affordability is now law. A little voice in my, in, in my heart, I think Alec was telling me not to stop that it will happen, and I feel it happening. Nicole Smith-Holt, whose son died because he could not afford insulin. Manufacturers would have to provide free insulin to patients in urgent need, plus maintain an ongoing assistance program for qualifying people or face multi-million dollar fines. 20-year-old Alexis Stanley was diagnosed with diabetes about two years ago. I just want to say thank you because I can't even put into words how um, grateful and happy I am to see this cross the finish line. Republican Senator Scott Jensen from Chaska helped overcome a nearly year-long deadlock at the state legislature. What we've seen here is how Minnesotans can work towards pushing politicians past gridlock, past partisanship. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said, though, the legislation is unnecessary because insulin makers have already set up programs. I think in this situation, uh, the private marketplace uh, once again beat government to the punch. Smith Holt responds. The thing that we have seen with the insulin companies is one day their coupon is here or their program is here and the next day it's gone. They do have millions of dollars at stake if they don't comply with this program and we know that they have plenty of money but I don't think that they honestly want to look like the the bad guy much longer. Representative Michael Howard from Richfield, the bill's lead author, says we're the first state to tell its citizens that if you are in an urgent need of insulin, you can get it at your pharmacy at a price you can afford. Howard predicts more states will follow Minnesota's lead. Scott? Thank you, Bill. We'll have a closer look at what the Salvation Army is doing to help Minnesotans during COVID-19 when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. 
We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Salvation Army continues to provide a number of services to those in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. In fact, the Salvation Army is serving a record amount of people across our great state. Joining me now is spokesman Dan Furry. Dan, I understand this week you just launched a new emotional and spiritual care hotline. Can you tell us a little bit about this new service? Absolutely, um, and, and thanks for asking, Tasha. Um, we have, like everyone, have been focused on the immediate needs of uh, providing uh, physical care to those folks who are, are struggling during the COVID-19 crisis. And so we've, we've been focused on providing shelter to those that need it, financial assistance to those that need it, and uh, particularly meals and and food distributions those have really skyrocketed but uh we we thought it was important that an area that we think is being overlooked is uh people's emotional and spiritual care and so uh in working with our our central territory uh we set up a uh emotional and spiritual care hotline uh because there are a lot of people out there who are alone, who are scared, who um, who are not sure what the future looks like, and uh, could use some uh, some support. Uh, could use some, whether it's uh, simply emotional support or whether it's spiritual care. Um, and we thought it was important to set this up and and make it available to people who who are in need. Dan, will there be a charge for this service? Uh, good question. No, there is not. Uh, it's an 800 number. Uh, that number is 877-220-4195. And there's, it's toll-free. There's no charge. And so anybody who, who is listening to this um, can feel free to call that number and, um, and just talk to, to one of our chaplains. As this outbreak continues and shelter-in-place remains, what are you hearing and seeing around the state? Well, the need has just skyrocketed. Um, in, in some cases, we've seen uh, food, again, food distributions in particular, uh, jump by as much as 800%. Um, and so thankfully to a lot of uh, supporters of the Salvation Army who have been uh, donating uh, rescued food, uh, we've been able to buy additional food. Um, so as of right now, we are meeting whatever need uh, people approach us with. And so um, uh, if, if, if folks have, have uh, concerns about uh, where meals are going to come from, um, I would encourage them to contact their nearest uh, Salvation Army Service Center. Um, one of the things I think is really clear is that as, as the crisis continues to um, to play havoc in people's lives. Uh, more and more people are being affected economically. More and more people are being laid off or being furloughed. And so many people, um, not just in, in Minnesota, but, but everywhere, are often living uh, within one or two paychecks. And, and so when they lose their source of income, 
it, it has a devastating effect. So we've seen the demand increase dramatically, and 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 so um, there's a lot of there's a lot of concern about their um, you know the economic impact and and worry about where where food and support is going to come from. We hear a lot in the news about the health aspect and you know how people are struggling uh, with with uh, those that have the disease, um, but not so much about people who are being impacted by the economics of this crisis. You said earlier that so far you've been able to keep up with the demand for your services. I know donations are so important to your organization. How can we help? I, uh, again, thank you for asking that. Right now, we've had a number of donors who stepped up to provide a donation match. So folks who make a donation right now to the Salvation Army, and that money goes directly to helping those people affected by the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Um, if they make a donation right now, it's going to be matched by these, these generous donors. And, and so uh, a donation today uh, will have twice the impact. We realize there's a lot of people out there who aren't in a position to do that, but there are some people who, who can help and, and want to help. So um, now is a good time, and you can donate very easily at SalvationArmyNorth.org. Thanks again to my guest, Dan Furry, with the Salvation Army Minnesota Division. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, a new low-cost ventilator created by engineers at the U of M's Earl E. Bakken Medical Devices Center was approved for production this week. MNN's J.W. Cox spoke with a member of the Bakken team to get more details about the device that could be a crucial new weapon in the fight against COVID-19. Scott, for Aaron Tucker and his fellow engineers at the Bakken Center, the FDA approval this week for the Coventer was just one more step on their fast-tracked innovation story. 30 days ago now, uh, Steve Richardson, Dr. Richardson, came up with the idea to use what's commonly known as an AMBU bag, uh, also known as a bag valve mask, as an emergency ventilator in place of, of some of the ventilators that we were going to be running out of. So the idea is, is that you use this AMBU bag, which is really just a balloon that you squeeze and force air into somebody's lungs. Uh, you can actually use that to temporarily ventilate somebody, and they do that all of the time in ambulances and emergency rooms and operating rooms in times of great need if you completely run out of ventilators the only other option you have is to use one of these bags by hand to ventilate somebody for hours so what we did was we created a one-armed robot that basically just replaces a human being having to hand ventilate a patient we were able to quickly turn around five different versions of the prototype, and we were able to prove that this would be effective enough in the eyes of the FDA. With the FDA clearance now, we are able to start actually selling these and using these in patients. What is it about the design of the Coventer that makes it such a valuable option potentially for hospitals and for people to look at that design and try and implement it where they might be? The value is that it's extremely simple. There are exactly three moving parts, and all it does is it squeezes an AMBU bag over and over again at a predictable, controllable rate. So we've dialed it in so that we can get the uh, the bag to produce the best clinical outcomes, and then the only 
thing that you have to change is the speed, the rate at which somebody's getting ventilated. And so this is extremely simple for respiratory therapists and anesthesiologists to use in, in the COVID crisis. And uh, that's why we believe that this is, this is valuable in terms of filling the gap between the amount of ventilators that we have and people that need to be ventilated. How does this get rolled out now and get into the hands of people that need it? For the first units, we've actually collaborated and worked with Boston Scientific, who does all of their manufacturing in Maple Grove, uh, to produce some of these starting next week. The idea is, is that they will begin filling the need because they have the ability to tightly control manufacturing. You know, they already do medical devices. They help us a lot with the FDA emergency use authorization. And then, you know, once we've gotten some of these units tested and we can verify that everything works properly, then we'll release the designs online so that people can start making them on their own. What will be the impact of that open source approach that you guys have taken to potentially make this a worldwide solution? Since we have such a simple design, it'll be fairly straightforward for people to replicate. And if, you know, whoever is making these, whether it's Boston Scientific or some other company, whoever is making these doesn't have the time or the, or the capacity or they haven't gotten enough units out to a certain area, you need to build one yourself. And you need to have confidence that what you're building will work properly and will do what you expect it to. Cost is a big factor in this. A regular traditional ventilator is something that can be pricey both to produce and to acquire. Where does this fall as far as being an option for hospitals, for clinics to be able to stock up on once they're produced? Traditional ventilators are, with all the bells and whistles, do an amazing job, and those are are pretty expensive because of that. Um, Ours is, I haven't seen a final price on this yet, but I think that we're targeting around $1,000. And this is, of course, to you know cover some of the engineering costs and some of the materials costs. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be significantly cheaper than some of the high-end ventilators, which can be you know $30,000, $40,000, that kind of range. We're in Minnesota where healthcare and health innovation is a big part of what we do. What does this progress and just this accomplishment say about that reputation and how proud are you to be a, at least a small part of this in the fight here in Minnesota against COVID-19? Our physical location has been incredible. Uh, so the university was amazing in helping us test our early prototypes. We got a lot of really important tests and really good data in that we submitted to the FDA, uh, which ultimately helped our device a lot going through approval. And then beyond that, you know, we're obviously right now drawing on, on Boston Scientific and their expertise in medical device manufacturing, but we've also worked with many other companies too. So Dr. Richardson's uh, friend that he built the original prototype with works at a company called MGC Diagnostics. It's uh, Jim McGurin. And he helped with the initial prototypes, and he has a lot of experience in medical devices as well. And then we also worked with other companies, such as ProtoLabs and DigiKey. And then externally, we worked with uh, Technic for, for motor sourcing, too. And just having that amazing wealth of expertise and knowledge and manufacturing power to draw on was invaluable. I don't think we would have come to this point this fast if we weren't where we are. So you get this idea, you know you have the minds to potentially make it happen. What was the biggest motivating factor to say, hey, we not only have to get this done, but this is something we want to fast track and see what we can do in quick fashion while still doing it safely and effectively? I mean, the motivating factor, I think, was the fact that, you know, 
politicians and 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 other people are calling for as much help as they can get. And you know, we kind of saw what this COVID can do to the population and and some of the the nasty effects that it has um, in looking at news from overseas. So the motivating factor was that you know, if somebody has no options, we need to provide them with an option. Aaron reiterated this project and any other they produce at the Bakken Center would not be possible without the support of everyone in the state of Minnesota. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The National Football League draft is this coming week, and it'll look different than it has in recent years due to the coronavirus. The entire draft will be done online with teams making selections remotely, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell announcing the first-round picks from his home in New York. College prospects have not been allowed to make in-person visits with teams or work out in person for teams. Former Golden Gopher star Carter Coughlin of Eden Prairie hopes to be one of those college stars who gets drafted. He's spending this stay-at-home time at his family's cabin, working out and waiting to see what his future holds. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Coughlin earlier this week. Up north in uh, Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, hanging out with the fam and, and working out. That's about it. Yeah, and, and uh, you're, you're at the uh, family estate, the cabin up there. Um, what, what have you been up to? Obviously, with the quarantine, I suppose you can get outside and do some things a little bit. But um, you're going through as a draft, a potential draftee um, and, and your classmates as well, everyone in this class, uh, something that, that no class has gone through. How, how difficult has this part been where you can't get to teams, you don't have a pro day? I know you got to run at the Combine, but um, this is a whole unique set of circumstances, huh? Yeah, it's, it's definitely unique. That's a good word for it. So what kind of uh, facilities does the Coughlin Estate have to uh, to help you stay in shape and, and work out? I mean, at this point, uh, improving your 40 time probably isn't going to matter the last two weeks, but you still have to try to stay in some assemblage of shape, I would think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, luckily I'll never have to run a 40 again. Um, <laughs> got to get that out of the way. It was a blast, but I'll never do that again. Uh, we got a lot of dead trees up here, so we've been doing some lumberjack work, which is been pretty interesting but then on top of that you know we got a a squat rack in the in the garage so you know bench squat all that kind of stuff we got bands so uh in all honesty i can hit pretty much every muscle group even though there's a a limited amount of you know resources i guess and uh and on top of that i've been doing conditioning and running and stuff which is different on pavement than a than a field but you know hopefully i'm going to be able to get out on in 
in some grass once all the snow melts up here. You have some snow still, uh, and it sounds like maybe some more could be coming, but you have still some snow on the ground there? Yeah, we still have some snow, and, and looking out at the water right now, there's still a layer of ice over the majority of the water, so it hasn't quite thawed out up here. So you haven't been out walleye fishing quite yet then? Not quite yet. No. <laughs> um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about what um, this process has been like for you. Um, do you uh, stay in touch? Obviously, I would think with your agent. Are you are you connecting with teams as well? Do they want to find out more about you as a person? Um, if they can't have you as a, you know in terms of a workout uh, and a pro day and those kind of things, what, what kind of take us through the process? Yeah. So uh, you know, my my agent's terrific. He's he's kept me in in the loop with everything, checks in, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and before this process ever started, like before the senior bowl, before any of that stuff, going through my history, you know, he said, listen, you've got three and a half, basically four years of film, even though freshman year, you know, limited reps and stuff, but um, four years of film, you haven't gotten in trouble. And, you know, everybody that talks about you is going to say that you're a high character person, you're a team leader, whatever. So teams know what they're going to get in all reality, you know, there's not a bunch of um, unchecked boxes in terms of what teams need to figure out besides, you know, how I'll be able to play in space because I didn't get to do a lot of that in college. And so, you know, from, from that perspective, you know, a lot of teams don't need to have additional meetings with me. I've had some, you know, I've hopped on some Zoom calls and, you know, looked at film with teams, walked through our defense that we ran, talked about their defense that they run, um, where they see me fit, you know, get to know different people. But um, at that same token, you know, a lot of teams don't really feel the need to do that just because they know what they're getting. So my communication process hasn't hasn't been um, anything crazy with teams in this time, just because uh, I don't I don't know if there's a huge need for it to to be crazy, you know. Yeah, for sure. And have you um, gotten an idea, though, of maybe some teams that are, are, are keeping a special eye on Carter Coughlin at this point? Uh, teams that say, hey, we like you, and if you're at this spot, um, you know, we could p- potentially uh, take a pick there with you? Yeah, you know, I, ha- I haven't had that conversation necessarily, um, but there's been teams that reach out that have said, listen, like, we really like you in this role. This is what we really like about your game do you think you could do this or, you know, tell us about doing this at Minnesota. And so there's been teams that reach out that um, at this point I'd say are potentially showing more interest than others. Um, but it's, it's also kind of a gray area too, just because, you know, you could, you could think a team's going to take you in this round and all of a sudden a, a team who's barely talked to you just picks you up and, you know, out of nowhere. So it's uh, I think the conversation of, you know, what team would take me where is, Something that will probably happen with my agent in the next week or so, but um, at this point, I don't really, I haven't really had that discussion yet. And has has your agent had discussions with you in regard to what range you could potentially go in this draft? What round, or are you more uh, not not worried at this point about that? Yeah, you know, I, I really haven't had that conversation with them yet. The way I look at it, to be honest with you, is I'm not so much concerned about what round because I think that you know once you get past the first and second round it kind of turns into like a personal pride thing you know I was taken in this round instead of this round um, the reality is I want to go to a team that's that's looking for the Carter Coughlin skill set you know my skill set's unique um, and you know the type of player I am I think is unique and it will fit some teams better than others so I'm praying and hoping that I end up on the right team where whatever my role is I can go out and perform. 
That's former Gopher Carter Coughlin and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Another reminder, please stay safe. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <laughs>